Did you know that music can accelerate child brain development and strengthen intellectual, emotional, and motor skills as well as overall literacy? Bringing music into the classroom can help kids explore the mind-body connection and become comfortable with self-expression. Sadly, many children's music programs are lacking in the resources they need to let kids explore this creative space. That's why Osiris is very happy to partner with the Mockingbird Foundation. Founded in 1996, the Mockingbird Foundation is a volunteer-run nonprofit organization dedicated to improving access to music education for America's youth. Each year, the foundation awards grants to dozens of music education programs and funds those grants through a combination of fundraising, publishing, and the curation of Fish.net, one of the earliest internet fan communities. Mockingbird is entirely volunteer with no staff, no salaries, and no office. So every dollar really does make a difference in providing children's music programs with the staffing, instruments, and support they need. The foundation gives over $100,000 to $150,000 every year in grants. To donate or learn more, visit mbird.org. That's M-B-I-R-D dot org. Before we go beyond the pond, we'd like to tell you about another one of our favorite podcasts from Osiris Media, Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Rob and Seth are two huge music fans, really great podcasters, and all-around fantastic guys. They have excellent energy and enthusiasm on their show, where they cover a whole wide-ranging, all-inclusive, and sprawling world of jam band music. They've got artists ranging from, let's see, episode 87, John Modeski and Billy Cobham. In episode 89, they talked to Mark Brownstein and John Gutleg from Disco Biscuits. The most recent episode talks to the guys from Railroad Earth, John Kadlicek, Keller Williams. Rob and Seth are smart guys and funny guys, and they really run the gamut of the jam band scene they've been doing this for a long time and they very much care about their craft and they care about the musicians and frankly they're good dudes and they run a good podcast one of their best episodes came as a tribute of sorts to Colonel Bruce Hampton who passed away in the spring of 2017 Rob and Seth had become close friends with Colonel Bruce Hampton interviewing him a number of times and he really believed in the overall message and inspiration behind the podcast if you're a fish fan like we are you know that colonel bruce hampton played a big role in fish's early upbringing and he played a huge role for rob and seth so we'd encourage you guys all to go ahead and listen to inside out with turner and seth on osiris media it's a fantastic podcast and with that let's go beyond the pond
Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode 91 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting a listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands. Because we love fish, we are fish fans. Sometimes the problem with fish fans is they have a tendency to get a bit myopic. They can recall dates, times, whether Mercury was in retrograde during their favorite shows. But sometimes when you talk about other bands, they kind of stare at you blankly. We're trying to do something about that. But at the same time, this is a wide pond. Really, anybody who is looking to get into some new music is very welcome here. Absolutely. And we are here in episode 91, recapping the first fish run of the 2020s. Imagine that. This is a new decade for fish, new year for fish, and man, fish got off to a quick start. Pretty amazing stuff, huh? Goddamn right they did. This is a new decade... The radio likes the songs we play. Sorry, I had to put that verb reference in there. Couldn't help myself. Some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode include Holy Mexico, my goodness. Ruby Waves and the MSG Tweezer can equal brilliant sectional jamming in under 20 minutes. And can the MSG Mexico momentum carry over to summer tour? On that note, let's get to some fish. Thank you for settling in with us here to episode 91 where we recap the Mexico run of 2020. We're very excited about this. Um, we believe Fish played a high-quality run. You may agree. You also may disagree. Uh, if you agree, we hope that the next 20-ish minutes are filled with nodding and agreement on your end. If you disagree, we hope that we can convince you of where our opinion stands. We promise that there will be some good music featured throughout here, and we're going to play a section of a jam that we absolutely loved from this last weekend. And for those of you who have been listening to our recap episodes throughout 2019, as we recap Summer Tour, Dicks, The Fall Run, and MSG, we're going to do it kind of the same way here. We're going to recap it through various segments that will give you a full summary of of the overall run itself. And to kick things off, we're going to kick things off the way that we always do with these, with the best opening quarter. So the best opening 40-ish minutes to one of the shows. Dave, what is our best opening quarter for Mexico 2020? Brian, we had for our best opening quarter would be February 21st, the Friday show, being Turtle in the Clouds, Shafty into plasma, back into Shafty, into lizards. 
Yeah, so aside from Sunday, I would say the band came out to the majority of their shows in Mexico on a tear. From Thursday's Torn and Frayed Bust Out, Free, Shipwreck Free, to Saturday's Full Set Domination, the energy of the run and the band's current peaking play meant most shows felt like one that you had to be at right out the gates. It was Friday night, 221, however, where all this came together in a 30-minute segment of energy and surprises that feels like their strongest opening quarter of 2020 thus far. Now, to kick it off, Turtle in the Clouds, I will say I'd love to see this song develop into a jam vehicle. It feels to me like it could be the best LCD sound system meets Fish Jam ever. That said, its last three performances have all come in the opening slot, and it really provides one of the most immediate jolts of electricity into any show in this manner. Yeah, it really has become one of their very best openers, though it's awesome in the three-hole as well. For example, see uh, December 29, 2018. It's kind of like we discussed on um, our last podcast with Stephen Hyden. I mean, how many nearly 37-year-old bands can get fans this excited to hear like new material? <laughs> Nobody dislikes Turtle in the Clouds. It's really that good. Yeah, it's it's kind of a unanimous uh, selection among Fist fans. Um, following that, you get the return of Shafty, the first since... June, tw- June 10th, 2012, which is 302 shows ago. That was a Bonnaroo show. And it's really, it's the only only the sixth performance ever of the song, which I was kind of shocked at uh, during research uh, for the pod here. Um, this would be the defining moment of the show as the band would weave in and out of it for the remainder of the night, much like they did with the song that followed, Plasma, during the Providence run. Uh, this played the task of a landing pad here for Shafty, showcasing the fluidity with which the band is playing right now before a return into Shafty set the tone for the night. And then finally you get Lizards, the entryway to Gamehenge. This transitions to the next part of the set. It's equally strong. It's got a massive jam off of Bathtub Gin and a really, really underrated blaze on. Yeah, the Shafty Plasma Shafty Sandwich was really effortless and cool. I mean, if you told me that this is how they open up the second set, I wouldn't have blinked. It's just a, a good way for them to get into the zone super quickly. And really, nothing about the set wasn't awesome. I mean, if it's arguably a top 10 gin or 3.0, type 2 blazon, it really had it all. Fuck, it had sea and sand. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you had wanted to argue that Saturday night had the strongest first quarter. I think that's a very reasonable argument to make as well. There were huge versions of Tube and Set Your Soul Free. They had like uh, the Fishman joke opening with uh, opening with Little Feet's Willin'. I definitely got some side eye from my wife when I was listening to Mike Gordon try to sing you sexy thing. But that's that's how it goes with Gordo sometimes. <laughs> So moving on to our next segment here, the Kool-Aid Man Award. Dave, what is the Kool-Aid Man Award? All right. For those who uh, have not listened to our other podcasts and or didn't come of age in the 80s, Kool-Aid Man is the anthropomorphic pitcher of sugar water who gets really excited off of his own sugar water and runs through walls, crashing bricks everywhere and of course kool-aid being the sugar water drink that uh parents gave their kids in the 80s to have them run through similar walls so basically the kool-aid man award is for the song and or jam segment that makes you want to run through a wall and brian what do we have for the kool-aid man award 
tweezer into manteca into maca supa so mm. yeah <laughs> you get the first tweezer since msg and it's a damn rock and roll revelation peaks almost immediately out of the song and moves seamlessly into the first manteca since july 19th 2016 136 shows ago which then itself features some phenomenal clav work from Paige, which I have to pause really quick because I, I don't know if we'll get to it, but Paige, man, jump on the clav or jump on the synths at just like the right time in every one of these jams, and Trey just immediately responded with an idea, and it just drove the jam forward. It, to me, was the most incredible part of the overall run. And then the jam goes back into some sort of like a tweezer jam. It doesn't define like the riff or anything, but it definitely goes back, which then soars into this massive classic rock peak before segueing into Makisupa. Um, this was only the 16th Manteca ever played and only the fifth of 3.0. The others being December 31st, 2010, May 28th, 2011, with inside of uh, Bathtub Gym. Uh, June 16th, 2012, Inside of Light, 719, July 19th, 2016, Out of Light, and then here, February 22nd, 2020, in the middle of Tweezer. Yeah, everything about this segment is incredibly energetic. I was doing air drumming at home on my couch. Um, and the meat of the Manteca is basically, it's a Loving Cup jam. It's in the same key as the, like, the Loving Cup jam. It's got the same tempo and accents. I mean, at one point, I was listening to it walking down the street. I might have yelled out, Give me a little drink! <laughs> and then from there, it goes into a Makasuba Policeman, which is certainly a little faster, a little more ska than usual. And it has quotes from You Sexy Thing. I think uh, this Makasupa trade does not reference drugs, but rather yells out, you sexy thing, instead. So, <laughs> you sexy Makasupa, clearly they were feeling it this night. That's the only way to like describe what was going on here. Yeah, it's kind of one of those, um, I love these kind of moments in a really good show where the band is just on musically and they're just jamming and they keep pushing something. But then there's like humor that bleeds into it. It's really kind of the defining the defining thing that has always pushed fish forward is the the fusion of rock and roll mastery and also just flat out jokes and humor and hilarity. Now, usually when fish is being funny, it's a sign that the show is going well. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I think more like recent case in point of that could be like Providence Night Two. Yes, very good where, call. Yeah. The the entire first set where the synth would introduce every song. Yeah, would Trey call the songs out and say, "Hit it, Paige." <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So, with all good things, there have to be things that seemed like good things, but ultimately weren't. A award for seemed like a good idea at the time. This is kind of our biting criticism throughout this segment of the show. Dave, what would you say seemed like a good idea at the time, but maybe wasn't the best idea? The You and Dremislav Encore on Thursday night. Hmm. Yeah. I, I want to pause before we go further because I know that we're potentially 
committing blasphemy here. But I think we owe our listeners the truth, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, We are truth tellers. Yes. You will not get any phony baloney in this podcast. <laughs> so so here's, here's our argument. Anytime they play Yem in an odd slot, it's a special moment. An opener, first set closer, an encore, whatever it may be. However, and I know that this is probably an unpopular opinion, so I'm just bracing for Twitter to react to this, but I kind of think the band should shelve you enjoy myself until they have a desire to truly play it accurately and explore it with the kind of creativity that defined its best eras. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, nobody is going to complain about you enjoy myself exactly. No, I'll, I'll celebrate it being played, but you know. Yeah, but it's somewhat clear that they don't practice it. I mean, my entirely uneducated guess is that they would rather focus on the newer stuff, and Trey probably thinks he can play it blindfolded in his sleep, which right. probably can to a certain extent. But when it's as slow and flubby as it is here, it kind of just makes the ravages of like Father Time loom all the more large. Fish has never reached like Jerry Garcia summer nineteen ninety five levels of incompetence. I hope they never do. I mean, certainly now that I've crossed the threshold of being 40 years old, my joints aren't quite as well oiled as they once was. So (laughs) I get it. But at the same time, you know, you want to be professional and play it right. And this one was a little train wrecky. A little train wrecky. Special little moment here in this welcome set that went way longer than anyone would have anticipated going. Yeah. And then you throw a Yem Encore in there. Oh, my God. What are we off to here? Mexico is going great. But then you listen back and you're like, am I ever going to listen to this? You want to enjoy myself again? And, you know, the middle jam segment isn't hard. All they got to do is just, like, push it a little bit further. And we'll actually look past many of the flubs, you know? Uh, And that just didn't happen here. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to... Go all like Albany ninety five, then you can like flub as much as you want. Right. But, right. <laughs> so moving forward, one of our favorite sections within all this. Uh, if this tour were a baseball season, would we be in playoff contention? Let's say you, Dave. Absolutely. Yeah. If this was a baseball season, right now Fish is going to have like a five game lead on the division in mid May. So, yeah. Yeah, you know those seasons where your team just cruises to a 5-10 to game lead in the division, and before you know it, it's Memorial Day, and you're dreaming of the World Series? That was 2016 for me. Now, Fish hasn't had an April like the Cubs did that year, but they are on a tear. I'd argue they haven't played a bad show since Charleston Night 3. Only played one really mediocre show. New Year's Eve was just kind of, eh. Some good moments, but overall. Um, can they keep this going into summer? I, I don't know. But they've given themselves an exciting start to the year. Yeah, I mean, if they're able to carry over the success of MSG in Mexico, I mean, God, 2020 could really have the best like West Coast runs in summer 2013. I mean, I think my New York Mets started 2018 by going 11-1. and and they started to show cracks in May and completely fucking cratered in June and finished the season eight games under 500. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, 2018, that was Mickey Callier at her. I mean, right now, Fish is 11-1. New Year's run was great. Mexico run was great. Let's see what summer brings. I really hope they don't make like the Mets made in June of 2018. <laughs> I hope so either. Uh, I, ho- I hope that they don't as well. Um, I think that we're in for a good year. They've settled into the new songs. Uh, there's clearly like some really cool jamming styles coming out of uh, the best parts of New Year's. And here they played two 35 plus minute long jams in 2019. Who knows? Maybe we could be in for something like that here in 2020. Maybe more of those will pop up. But I think on the whole, you're right. Uh, we're on a tear right now. Let's hope that uh, we don't go downhill. Yeah, I know. I'm a much more pleasant person to be around when the Mets have a winning record. <laughs> Likewise. Um, so jumping in the next section, we feel really good about this run overall. Be honest, though. How many of these shows will you actually listen to in full again? Okay, I think we all agree on these. Certainly, um, February 22nd, the Saturday show, I'll listen to that in full. That's a top-to-bottom heater. That's one of the best shows they've played in quite some time. Yeah. Uh, that said, Friday night, um, let's see, Thursday night, I will definitely listen to 75% of that show. That's a really good barbecue set. That's like... Uh, I guess Fenway Night 2 done the right way. And then I'd said probably listen to about 75% of Friday and 45% of Sunday. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I would say, you know, Thursday night, you get the first Torn and Fray since uh, July 7th, 2012, 285 shows, and only the eighth ever. You get the free, the shipwreck, and the free. It gives us probably the most exciting free since 11 2 2014. Probably, probably the best since 2.0. Uh, fantastic Moma Dance that really expands on the song's theme without ever going type two. It's loose. It's uh, like swinging version of the song. It's like lithe. Moma yes. Dance is not usually lithe. Right. <laughs> and then you get uh, Beneath the Sea of Stars. It drops late in the set and offers a warmer take on the brilliance we heard at Mohegan Sun over the summer. Yeah, with this Beneath the Sea of Stars, not quite as exploratory as Mohegan, but during the improv, you get like deep levels of warm noise, all enveloping, kind of like what I imagine floating in a sensory deprivation tank would be. I would never actually experience that because I'm claustrophobic and I would be afraid that the guy would lose the key and get me stuck. But (laughs) um, that said, also had really nice versions of Gotta Jaboo and Cross-Eyed, there was some uh, like humor with Shake Your Coconuts, like we said before, when they're funny, they're feeling it. Landlady and the Destiny Unbound bringing the 1991 vibes. Just like, you know, loose, nicely executed welcome show. Very nice show. And then you move on to uh, Friday Night 221. You got an awesome first set, really good encore. The aforementioned Killer Q- Qu- uh, First Quarter. Gin and the Shafty. Blaze On, I think, is the underrated and overlooked gem of the run. First Sea and Sand since July 20th, 1998. 670 shows and only the fourth all time. And I'm kind of blown away. It took them until their fourth year in Mexico to play that song. <laughs> uh, Sigma Oasis, all caps. You're already there. I love that song so much, dude. <laughs> I'm going to be just like dad rocking, arms up. 
like night two at Dick's when they predictably open up the second set with that and then don't jam for the entire set. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what's happening. Uh, really great 2001, not quite Mexico 2019 or the Met, but still really fascinating. It was good. It had the funk. and like uh, 1997 James Brown vibes in it. Yeah. Uh, then you get the worst placed Drift While You're Sleeping ever. I mean, you don't want to put that in the big second set jam slot. I mean, for what it's worth, I wouldn't really want to hear Petrichor or Divided Sky there either. It doesn't, nope. um, you know, it's not so much a bad song so much as just don't put it there. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't. Uh, really solid. I always wanted it this way into No Man in No Man's Land. I think it's kind of being overlooked. I think you would agree. Yeah, it's like a Type 2 Micro Jam. No Man No yeah. Man's Land. Yeah, we're good. And then this really fantastic and jammy encore, Sand in a Week of Hog in a Shafty. It's crazy. Like, the encore itself, it's like 25 minutes of jamming. I mean, Friday's set, too, might have been the weakest set of the run, and objectively, it's still pretty good. Yeah, overall, it's all right, and you just get a fantastic encore, yeah. all of which leads us into Saturday, 2.22. This is a brilliant, complete show. You know, I would say you're looking at 1230, 2019, 1228, 2019, 12, uh, what would it be? 12, no, 1130, 2019. Um, as kind of Providence, yeah, 92? yeah, Providence, 92. Like, it's kind of your recent, really good shows, complete shows. I think this stacks up with all those and might even be better than them. They just Ben Greenfield uh, at Guy Forger OPT. Um, had dinner with him and his family. Went down to his hangout den and watched this show together. And um, wait, Ben's got a man cave. He's got a he's got a dude cave. It's a it's a good spot with great big nice. speakers, and we got to watch it on a nice big flat screen TV, and it was great. Um, Suburbs, man. Yeah. He uh, provided some fantastic beer. His friend came over, who's a deadhead, who was not into fish. And I think we made him converts, even though they played Soul Planet. Um, And he was like, Jerry would never say this. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, this show like... Bobby might. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Uh, Everyone's together on this. I mean, we were we were sitting there watching it, and you know, anyone who's listened to a podcast with Ben on it, he's um, he's got a very dry sense of humor. And um, when they walked out on stage, he was like, "All right, I hope you're ready for a bad show." Uh, <laughs> and then Trey goes to the drums, of course, and we're both like, "What the fuck's going on?" They play the first Willen since October thirty first, twenty ten. And then a massive tube jam in the two slot, which is up there with a baker's dozen, February 22nd, 2003, Hershey 2000, and Date 97 is the best versions ever. I mean, just a killer, killer take. Yeah. Big C major yummy jam. Totally. All caps evening song. I love that song. Like it. Like it. I love that song. Uh, Set your soul free into a helicopter jam into You Sexy Thing. The Tweezer, Manteca, and Mackie Supa Twist. Uh, Energy to Soul Planet kind of struggles for liftoff, but has really fascinating moments. And then 
The Waves Karini Chalk Dust Have Mercy segment is brilliant. Uh, Life Beyond the Dream, really well placed as opposed to Drift While You're Sleeping the Night Before. It was right in the Jerry Ballard slot. Yeah, and just... It's like right when you'd be hearing Stella Blue or Black Peter. Exactly, and just all the feels at that moment. And then All Caps Hood and a Sweet Jane Encore. There's nothing to complain about in this show. No. I was... I watched the whole show from the couch, was very pleased with it, just top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, that... God, the waves and the Karini. I mean, the Karini, like you were talking about Paige's synthesizers, just at the end of that Karini, he's like, oh, it almost felt like one of the darker versions of the song since December 30, uh, December 30, 2012. Sure, be- sure. Because of his synths, which just had this like claustrophobic, like little bugs and creatures under your skin feel to that Karini. Yeah, and both those songs, I mean, we're going to talk about one of them here in a second, but both those songs are legitimate jam vehicles, and sometimes the band really struggles to get outside of them, and it just felt really effortless. Like, when they started Carini, I kind of felt like at that point the set was about to just go into Songsville. Nope. And instead, it just goes into this killer jam, which finds its way seamlessly into Chalk Dust, which then finds its way seamlessly into Have Mercy, which then turns into a freaking jam of its own it was insane um and then you go into sunday 223 the final night of the run four night run here this is kind of a sloppy good not great but with great moments show um via webcast i have to say this first have you seen any video from this set yeah this is where trey called the audience mediocre yeah, well, we all are. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> We're a bunch of uh, portly dads who yeah. drink heavy beer and eat lot food and dance to fish. Like, I'm I'm honored to be called mediocre by Trey. We have to ask Dwyer, Matt Dwyer of HF Pod, what the beer scene was like, because I just imagine people swinging Corona. I don't, I don't think... <laughs> I think I it's a think, lot of cocktails. Yeah, okay. That's what I'd be eating cocktails. I don't think there's really room for like 8% double IPAs on the beach in Mexico. No, I don't think so. But uh, I would encourage anyone who hasn't watched a video of this first set to actively seek it out on YouTube or on, um, you know, someone's got to have it on Twitter. But it looked like a freaking dream. Every time the camera would pan from the stage to the crowd or back of the crowd to the stage. I mean, I felt like I was looking at a fucking fish dream of my own and I cannot even imagine what it must have been like for you people there. Um, Just magic. Um, Deep in the set, you get a brilliant Everything's Right. Um, By my count, this song has a 556 batting average, which is just insane. Uh, It's... It's like every time they play it now, you just know that you're getting a killer version. I've seen on Twitter, there were some people that said that in this song, Trey was teasing the 80s uh, Steve Winwood single slash beer commercial, Don't You Know What the Night Can Do? I mean, I don't hear it. I'm just trying to imagine the mental hoops it requires for Trey to be thinking of like a late 80s Steve Winwood song while playing Everything's Right. But <laughs> hey, convince me otherwise. Give me a timestamp, man. <laughs> uh, you get probably the most 
uh, interesting and probably best Bowie since 10-20-2010. And then set two starts with Simple into Golden Age, which is outstanding. Yeah. That's, we talk about shoegaze on Beyond the Pond. Last three to five minutes of this Golden Age sounds very much like the My Bloody Valentine song I only said. Or any of the songs off Loveless, really. It's really, he goes full on Kevin Shields. And it's, it's fucking glorious. Yeah, it's really amazing stuff. Um, and you finish off the set with some strange set listing, which is bolstered by Great Plain, with Jams and Fuego, Undermine, Get Back on the Train, and without question, the best passing through we've ever heard. I think it's only the fourth one that they've played thus far, but really, it's a little really bar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the song is a little bit cheesy and. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like a peaking jam to it. But I, I thought it was great. I think it's um, of all the cheesy, we're all in this together, unified bullshit that we get. That's that's <laughs> that's like that's the, best. the best one. Yeah, and I even like the like, oh, oh, I don't know. There's something like kitschy about it that it's almost like fish poking fun at themselves that, that I'm a fan of. Oh, it's not. Fish poking fun at themselves. It's the guys that were in like the underground, like Scandinavian lab, mm. like you know. Excuse me, excuse me. It's Caswell yeah. Fox po- poking fun at themselves. Exactly. Right? I apologize. Exactly. And then the uh, the six song encore it was kind of filled with lots of like short, somewhat autopiloty. I don't want to say mediocre fish, but you know, it wasn't to send you home with a bang so much to send you home with like length. I mean, I'm thinking. Yeah. I have a theory that maybe at this point on Sunday, the band got a bit tired. I mean, outside of New Year's Eve run, four shows in a row is a relatively non-existent thing these days. I mean, Trey didn't have the benefit of sleeping in his own bed. So maybe some of the flubs and set list choices just be chalked up to fatigue. I don't know. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think it's fair that they get to that point. They're in their mid-50s and just play a killer for a show run in on a beach in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I would have picked uh, probably six other songs to close out this, this show, but um, when all is said and done, uh, I remember the best parts of the run, which brings us into our final segment here before we jump into the jam. The This Is Why We Do This Award. And we had a lot to choose from here, didn't we, Dave? Yeah, this wasn't an easy choice. There was lots of big highlights to this Mexico run. I mean, really, let's just want to emphasize the fact that it was extremely good. I mean, this normally, in the past, we've kind of thought of Mexico, to use another baseball metaphor, as like spring training. Because, you know, people are kind of, you know, on the beach, not so much paying attention, just happy to be there. Um... But in this case, it's sort of almost like spring training in the sense that veteran pitchers use spring training to try to do new and different things and find new things about themselves. And that's really what Fish did here. So with that said, for this is why we do this award, we gave it to the version of Waves that was played on Saturday night. So this is unquestionably a top five version of Waves ever. And some people... Some very credible people on Twitter have been calling this the best version of Waves ever. Um, I don't know. I still have such a soft spot for the It version, and I think it just builds off of the theme of the original song so well. But um, I think it's 
it's definitely up there. It's definitely there. I mean, this is there with it, August second, two thousand three, um, May twenty sixth, two thousand eleven, the Bethel Tech version, August fifteenth, twenty eleven, the UIC Element set. Um, mm. October 25th, 2013 from Worcester. Really great version that goes into a Carini as well. And then here, um, February 22nd, 2020. And I would also add June 20th, 2004 from SPAC. Great first set, like 16-minute jam. And uh, May 27th, 2011 from Bethel where Trey mimics uh, Alex Scally's guitar playing from Beach House. Really, really great stuff. This is just fluid. This is a creative, effortless jam. Um, to my ears, this sounds like the succession of the Alpine Valley Ruby Waves and the MSG Tweezer have bled into a creative, br- brilliantly creative jam in half the time. I love this Waves. I think I would only dock it a little bit because on paper it's more like Waves with, kind of like curtain with. I mean, it's almost like... They simply stopped playing Waves, and then Trey began what I first believed to be an entirely different song versus a continuation of Waves. But Live Fish tracking is calling the whole 19-minute thing Waves, so we'll go with what Live Fish says. And I might argue that if not for the Waves, the Korean that comes next, I think, would have been my candidate for the This Is Why We Do This Award, because it's nearly as good. Like I said, one of the darkest versions decided December 30th, 2012, and Paige McConnell's uh, synthesizers are a big reason for that. But for now, let us listen to a segment of uh, the fish song Waves from February 22nd, 2020. Thank you. 
If you're like me, things like music, running, and cooking all bring happiness and meaning. However, there are times where even the things you rely on for happiness are not enough to help you achieve your goals. The good news is, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp Online Counseling is a way for you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, and conveniently online environment. Schedule your own secure video or phone session, plus chat and text with your therapist at your own convenience. Everything you share is confidential, and licensed professional counselors are available with specializations in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem, among more. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and if you're not happy with your counselor at any time, you can request a new one at no additional charge. With over 3,000 licensed therapists, you can start communicating in under 24 hours with non-crisis counselors. Schedules can be set up weekly, over phone, or video, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. I've been using BetterHelp for the last few months, and I feel a strong sense of clarity, purpose, and understanding in speaking with my counselor. It's important to speak with a professional when you're feeling in need of communication and understanding. Beyond the Pond listeners get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp by using the discount code BTP. That's BTP. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash BTP. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash BTP. So I hope you enjoyed that section of fantastic waves from February 22nd, 2020. Transitioning here into segment two, we are going to talk a bit about new albums. Um, about a third of the way or so, just about into the new uh, year, early parts of the new decade. And it's been really interesting to hear some of the better records and better sounds that have come out of um, this winter. And uh, I can tell you for certain, uh, we'll be doing our top albums of 2020 so far in early June this year. So I'm excited to see where some of these records land on that list. Um, I'm going to talk right now about what very well might be my favorite record of the year so far. And that is John Moreland's LP5. Uh, John Moreland is an Americana country tinge singer-songwriter from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was born into a conservative Southern Baptist family. His father was an engineer for Sunoco. And that latter part meant that he and his family moved quite often. Uh, he spent some time in Northern Kentucky and Southern Ohio, which he credits for his love for the Cincinnati Reds. While I can't support that kind of fandom myself, I can certainly respect anyone who's going to put up with a team who's bastardized their uniforms and kind of ruined their legacy for the last 35 years. Have a lot of respect for Cincinnati Red fans that way. And they play in a bandbox. Yeah, <laughs> too. Uh, anyway, John Moreland uh, picked up the guitar when he was about 10, and he began writing songs while going to church when he was 12. Uh, he played his first show at 13 and then spent the majority of his teen years in punk and hardcore bands. Side note, he was born four months after I was... And it's really wild to see like the style of music that um, like I was listening to a ton of punk music in my teenage years 
and uh, have come around to loving the type of music that more of them play. So it's, it's wild to track that, uh, that overall journey musically he's been on. Uh, largely self-produced, Moreland makes music that reflects his upbringing in Oklahoma, as he calls it, music that is, quote, glorious and joyfully heartbreaking. He's, content- he's constantly releasing music and has released multiple albums in single years a few times over the last decade. He runs his own mail order business and ships out records on his own because that's how all his favorite labels have always operated. And his first breakthrough is originally in 2015 with the album High on Tulsa Heat, which he recorded in a matter of days in July 2014 while at his parents' house while they were out on vacation. Prior to this, he supported Jason Isbell on his 2013 Southeastern tour, which helped him to grow his own exposure. Uh, Moreland often plays with two different bands, Black Gold Band and the Dust Bowl Souls. And in 2015, following a performance opening for Lucero, who I believe Dave featured in his top albums at one point of the 2010s. Yeah, the double live album. It's amazing. So apparently Rachel Maddow was at this show and he opened up for Lucero and she tweeted that night that John Moreland should be a household name. Uh, according to Moreland, this was his dad's first time that he ever agreed with Rachel Maddow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the record in question here, 2020's LP5, it carries forward Moreland's weight, uh, weighty and unique perspective. It sounds like Nebraska era and Tom Joad era Springsteen. It's so goddamn salt of the earth, familiar and emotive. Immediately you're dropped deep into Trumping America heard from the 10,000-foot view on the opening track, Harder Dreams. And from there, the album just kind of unfolds itself in this beautifully just destroyed, decaying way that I just cannot get enough of right now. Uh, The song, I'm Learning How to Tell Myself the Truth, which is the song that we are going to feature here off of the album, might be my favorite song that I've heard all year. And like I said at the top here, at this point, this might be my favorite album I've heard yet in 2020. The focus here is salvation and survival, leaning more towards surviving as being more than good enough. So we're going to go ahead here and listen to a little bit of I'm Learning How to Tell Myself the Truth off of John Moreland's fantastic LP5. Congratulations on your book. Sharp-toned wit had me shook Thought about trying a little too long Give it up now, the good Lord's gone But we could put a record on We could dance on this shattered glass till dawn We could try to make it disappear All the cold we hold so dear I'm learning how to tell myself the truth Forget all the shit I used to think I knew Forgive me if I cannot give you proof I just want to Costumes in the other room. Been a little while. 
going forward, uh, I agree, Brian. John Moreland's LP5 is a fantastic record. I've been listening to that quite a bit since it came out. I also recommend his prior album, Big Bad Love, and 2015's High on Tulsa Heat, like you'd said. Anyone who wants a uh, big voice, he has voice has tons of gravitas, just like uh, big voice, enormous songs, and probably his latest record, might have the best production of his career. He was actually working with a producer, I think a guy from um, the now-defunct band Centromatic. Helped them out with it. Anyway, for uh, the album which I am going to speak about is entirely different than John Moreland, or I think you probably might like it. This is from a band from Norway called Vellertak. The album is called Splid. And we're going to play a song which I think is pronounced Bratbran. So, Gvelertak, it's Norwegian for chokehold. And the word split, I believe, translates to discord. This is their fourth album. Now, Gvelertak is a Norwegian band trafficking a brand of metal that they call Death and Roll, which basically kind of fuses the shrieking vocals and dark heaviness of Scandinavian black metal and death metal to unabashedly fun 70s classic rock groups. I mean, you'd think you'd kind of see this hybrid more, uh, kind of hybrid more often, but you really don't. This is sort of the only band kind of doing it. I, mean, I kind of think of Velotok as party-hardy Vikings, and nearly every one of their songs is sung in uh, their native Norwegian. This is actually the first album that has English language songs, which there's two of them, including a duet of sorts with uh, Troy Sanders, who's one of the vocalists from Mastodon. They're a ridiculously fun band, and the language barrier is kind of a value add because it makes them sound somewhat even more menacing. I mean, I can't really... I haven't run the lyrics through Google Translator. I just envision every Talk song about them either like drinking beer with Satan or the Norse god Odin opening up a can of whoop-ass, and that seems to work. And I think allegedly, from what I've read, they actually do incorporate lots of Norse mythology into their songs and drink beer with Satan, so I'm not that far off. There's like parts of their songs... That sound like Van Halen, ACDC, even like Boston for crying out loud. There's like these like dual harmonizing guitar riffs. They're really big in Norway. They're always at the top of these big metal festivals. They've toured Europe with Metallica. And what's also interesting is that they actually changed lead singers with this record. Uh, a guy named Ivar Nicholson has replaced Erlen Helvik. And while there's some subtle differences, the new guy yells at a slightly higher pitch. This is really just like Brian Johnson replacing Bon Scott and ACDC. Birds of a feather, minimal impact on the sound of the band, which is still super heavy, super shrieky, and super fun. This is for like driving way too fast on highways while uh, throwing up your devil horns and banging your head. So... Let us listen to Bratbran off of uh, Splid by Velotok. <laughs> Thank you. 
from the long-estranged brethren of Casville Voxed to Mr. Neil fucking Young. So what are we listening to right now? That's this segment. It's one of my favorite aspects of our recap shows is we just kind of open up the vault and talk with you a bit about what we've been listening to. Um, so last month I completed a massive listening project where in which I listened to every single Neil Young album in chronological order. It took me just over two weeks. It was a fantastic insight into Neil's life and career and gave me a completely new perspective on much of his career, most specifically I would say the greatness of parts of the 1980s, as well as the shocking greatness of the 2010 Neil. There's some excellent records in the last half of the 2010s. It's uh, Earth is a really fantastic record. Um, the Monsanto years is much better than I expected it to be. Uh, some great uh, deep re-releases from the uh, from the archives. Um, and also the early 2000s have some great records. Uh, Living with War, Greendale, all these get overlooked, I feel like, at this point in time. So uh, Silver and Gold. Um, this was a great way for me to hear both the classic Neil Young records combined with, um, you know, these, uh, these records that kind of fell in between I'd never heard before and just gave me a totally full picture of the man's career. Um, I discovered along the way a record I'd never listened to that is now one of my favorite Neil Young records ever, and that is 1987's Life. Now, this was his last record with Geffen Records, to which he had a massive battle with uh, throughout uh, the 1980s. Um, Beginning with 1982's Trans and continuing with Everybody's Rockin', Old Ways, Landing on Water, and Life, Neil Young did basically everything he could to completely fuck with his record label. I mean, Trans, he recorded behind uh, an auto-tuned microphone. Everybody's Rockin' is with a band called The Shockin' Pinks and is his take on mid-1950s car songs. It's not uh, old, good. No, no. No. Uh, old Ways is a straight-up country record. Landing on Water is um, potentially the worst Neil Young record ever made. It's kind of an updated version of Trans, but not as spectacular as Trans. Um, and then you get Life, and it follows it with This Notes For You, which is a straight-up blues record that I fucking hated. <laughs> um, but uh, This Notes For You actually has a really good live record that is uh, in the 2014s. But um, Life is the gem in so much of this. I, I personally really enjoyed Trans and Old Ways. I would highly recommend those records. But Life was this kind of just revelatory moment for me. And I think part of it is I came to the conclusion this is the first War on Drugs record. It's got the big fucking stadium drums, these like driving choruses and uh, guitar solos that just sound like um, you're just on the open road driving through the desert. It's got the song I'm going to play here, When Your Lonely Heart Breaks, which is one of the best Neil Live songs. It just like explodes like Strangest Thing does when the War on Drugs play it. Um and it all makes sense, you know, most of this record was recorded live at Universal Amphitheater in Universal City, California. Uh, only two tracks on the record, um, Crying Eyes and We Never Dance, were recorded in a studio. So it just has that really big feel. You've got Inca Queen, which is like your very 
standard, but standard great Native American, uh, uh, yeah, Native American um, Neil Young Crazy Horse song, big rock anthem. Um, It's just a really wild picture into Neil, now a decade removed from his most brilliant period and his best albums with Crazy Horse. And only a few years away from this huge renaissance, the the 90s are one of the strongest periods for Neil. And um, hearing this, you hear kind of that in-between step um, that I really, really enjoyed. So um, I would encourage anyone who's a fan of this podcast, who's a fan of Mr. Neil Young, to listen to some of the records from the 1980s, from the uh, uh, 2010s as well. There's some really great stuff there, some really cool surprises. Um, We're going to go ahead here and play... When Your Lonely Heart Breaks, off of 1987's Life. When you're lonely Heart breaks Don't sit counting Your mistakes Don't be So, what am I listening to now? Well, let's see. I've recently kind of started a listening project of my own in that 30 years ago, the Grateful Dead embarked on their 1990 tour. Actually, I mean, the first night of their 1990 tour was February 25th, 1990 from Oakland Coliseum. Then they played the 26th and the 27th in that same venue. And then they picked up the tour that spring, I believe, on March 15th. I think I want to say Maryland. It could be incorrect. But anyway, I am actually going to make an effort to listen to, if not the whole show, maybe like a large portion of each of those shows in chronological order on the day that they came out 30 years earlier just because I'm fascinated by the Grateful Dead in 1990. I think it was 
a peak year, a renaissance year, and I'm really curious to hear it from night to night. So besides that, oh, what have I been listening to? Um, the Fiery Furnaces, which were quite a bit of a buzz band in uh, the early 2000s, mid-2000s, all the way up through, um, I want to say, I think their last show was in 2010? But I think they're on the verge of getting back together. I think they're actually playing at the Pitchfork Fest they might have a new album or some new material coming out. I'm not sure. But their second album was the record that people really, really flocked to. This album called Blueberry Boat, which came out in 2004. This was like, this was when Pitchfork could really make or break a band. They gave this album like an 8.7, best new music. And I remember buying it at the time and really enjoying it. While at the same time thinking it was a bit long-winded, I didn't know if I had the patience for these songs. I think it was like a 78-minute record. And the songs, the fiery furnaces, are like broken into many disparate sections, almost stream-of-consciousness lyrics. Some people swear by this band. So given that they're getting back together, I decided to take the record out and see maybe I'll think of it differently now that I'm 40 as opposed to uh, like 25 when it was released. And I, I think I have even less patience for the fiery furnaces at age 40 than I did at age 25. <laughs> I put it in. I'm like, wait, the first song is 10 minutes? Called Quaker. I'm listening to it. I'm like, all right, this is pretty great, pretty good. And then when I think it would end, it goes into an entirely different kind of atonal section. have nothing to do with the first section. And the songs kind of repeated in the same fashion in that I remember like two or three great minutes from each song and then a bunch of dross. And I have friends, I know Osiris podcasters who would take a bullet for this band that are going to rake me over the coals for this take, but I just don't have the patience for Blueberry Boat or further Fiery Furnaces albums, which is kind of rich coming from somebody who co-hosts the Fish Podcast. <laughs> but that's just how it is. I'll keep trying. Maybe if they come to New York, I'll uh, think about going to see them. But geez, that's a dense album, Blueberry Boat. Anyway, let's listen to a song from it, or at least a portion of a song from it, because like every song on that album is like eight minutes. This is the fourth song on the album called Chris Michaels. Later at lunch with the taco lettuce crunch crunch She sets herself apart the bunch How bad does she seem? She makes me want to scream On the phone with the West Glen Ellen rest home Talking up a title tone How bad does she seem? She makes me want to scream Imagine though she really isn't being sad Her baby daddy's name is Tad How bad does she seem? She makes me want to scream Well yesterday you know she didn't None of that to say She queeby turned and walked away How bad does she seem? She makes me want to scream
baby's got a stick stuck out of leak. My baby takes a drink out of the leak. My baby's got a blue green sweater. And a nest down by the creek. Bloom, 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 cheap, cheap, beep, beep, beep. Where did you find Alright, guys. Thank you once again for hanging with us here in episode 91. We are on the home stretch to episode 100, and we are cooking up something fun. We'll be out to you a little bit later this summer. Mm. In the meantime, we have some fantastic episodes coming to you this spring. A few of our favorite uh, friends, uh, both in the Twitter world and the real world, are going to join us for some podcasts. Um, talking a bit about another deep dive. Going to give you our favorite records of the year thus far as well as some really awesome fish jams that we're diving into. But before that, what we covered here in episode 91, we talked all Mexico 2020 this year. Fantastic run, really great jams, great song selections, some cool bust outs. Uh, We got to get to Mexico, man. It's really all it comes down to. Just a phenomenal way to uh, experience fish it sounds like um and then from there we dove into new album recommendations i talked about john Morland's lp5 i'm learning how to tell myself the truth was the song i featured dave featured i'm gonna hand this to you because i who, who did we talk about in, from norway veller talk veller talk speed song was bright brown that was a single I, I am actively looking forward to the first chance I get to listen to that probably tomorrow. Uh, and then we talked in section two about um, what are we listening to right now, where we open the vaults, give you guys a picture of what we're listening to, both great and also, as Dave showcased, not so great. <laughs> um, I featured, uh, uh, I did a deep dive into Neil Young's discography and discovered the record Life from 1987. I absolutely loved. And then uh, Dave talked a bit about his 1990, spring 1990 Grateful Dead listening tour he's currently doing. Uh, the day we were recording this, he sent me a phenomenal version of Scarlet and Fire, followed by Terrapin Station that I, uh, from Oakland, February 26, 1990. Phenomenal jam segment. The uh, Scarlet and Fire transition is excellent. And then he also talked about the Fiery Furnaces, the album blueberry boat that he was listening to yeah with like chris michaels was the song it's the one that rhymes like lunch with taco lettuce crunch crunch so let's see we are active on social media you can always find us on twitter at at underscore beyond the pond one word we have a, a Spotify master playlist. It is incredibly unwieldy at this point. We always try to put the songs that we talk about in the episode into the playlist. There's probably about 600 songs in at this point. It's kind of silly. You just press shuffle and let it go. That can be found at Beyond the Pond podcast songs on Spotify. We are a proud member of the Osiris Media Network. Look at and out for the other fantastic podcasts on Osiris Media. You can find them on OsirisPod.com. Leave us an iTunes review. We love to read them. Anything we can do to increase our visibility in Tim Cookland is a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a really great thing. Um, 
So publishing structure, we're going to kind of do some normal and abnormal stuff here in the spring. We've got a really exciting episode coming out in two weeks. Uh, then we're going to do something kind of right after that. Uh, we've got a couple episodes, I think three coming out in April. Right now about two in May and two in June as we wrap up uh, and get ready for Fish Summer Tour in July. Really excited to see uh, where we're at musically when we get to the middle of the summer as well as how fish is playing by the time they return on the west coast um, but keep an eye out for us every other tuesday sometimes you'll get an episode right after that maybe we'll get excited and we'll do another crazy episode uh during um this over this uh this year who knows uh, or during the spring i should say but um some really good stuff coming coming for you here over the next couple of months so Beyond the Pond is hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman. Also, just like to say on Beyond the Pond, we always uh, preach responsible Spotify use, ethics in Spotify use, spethics, if you will. It's uh, one thing to listen to your songs in Spotify when you're on the subway, or it's great for playlists. But really, if you listen to something more than 10 times and you like it, please buy the record, buy a CD, buy a vinyl, go see these bands live, buy merchandise, because Spotify is handy, but it is not nearly enough. If you want your favorite artist to thrive and make money, you really need to purchase some physical things. So, on that note, if you hung with us for this long, we very much appreciate it. It was some really fantastic stuff to dive into in Fish's recent Mexico run. So, come back in, we believe, two weeks. If uh, our schedule holds, the next episode should be fascinating. We will hold hands. We will go beyond the pond.